This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, we welcome our guests, Corinne Catalano, Eva Kovacs, and Roseanne Yezzo. Corinne is Assistant Director for Consultation Services at the Center for Autism and Early Childhood Mental Health at Montclair State University. Eva and Roseanne are lead infant and early childhood consultation specialists at the Center for Autism and Early Childhood Mental Health at Montclair State University. Corinne, Eva, Roseanne, and I discuss the perspective of the early childhood educator as it relates to inclusive education. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. Um, my name is Arthur Aston, and I am your host for the podcast. And today I have three guests uh, with me for this episode, and we are uh, going to talk about the importance of uh, starting inclusion at the preschool level. So I would like to welcome my guests uh, to the podcast, Corinne Catalano, Eva Kofax and Roseanne Yezzo. So thank you all for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so I would like um, to start off with uh, allowing you all to introduce yourselves. I will uh, start with Corinne, go to Eva, and then uh, Roseanne. So if you could introduce yourselves and tell us something, uh, some many things that fun and interesting about yourselves. <laughs> Sure. Hi, I'm Corinne Catalano. I am the Assistant Director for Consultation Services at Montclair State University's Center for Autism and Early Childhood Mental Health. Um, I am the project lead for a partnership that we have with the New Jersey Department of Education and uh, the New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. Uh, we call that project the New Jersey Inclusive Education Technical Assistance Project, or NJIETA. And our mission really is to expand um, inclusive education for children with disabilities uh, uh, across New Jersey in pre-K through 12th grade. So um, I'm thrilled to be part of this uh, podcast and uh, have some, some of my colleagues here from, from this project today. Hi everyone, I'm Eva Kovac. I'm an inclusion facilitator with the New Jersey Inclusion Education Technical Assistance Project on Corinne's team, and also lead infant and early childhood consultation specialist at the Center for Autism and Early Childhood Mental Health at Montclair State University. Um, I'm on the early childhood field around about 30 years now. I was an elementary school teacher previously in Hungary and then I became a preschool teacher here, working in an Abbott state-funded preschool classroom in New Jersey for 11 years before I moved on to New York and worked as an early childhood coach when they rolled out the <clears throat> uh, universal preschool program there. I was working as a master teacher before I became a, a coach for New York, uh, the Montclair State University. Hello everyone, my name is Roseanne Yezzo and I uh, fill a similar role to um, Eva, a lead infant and early childhood consultation specialist. Prior to joining Montclair and uh, this project, 
I spent 36 years in public education, started as a special education teacher, and then I moved on to being a learning disabilities teacher consultant with a child study team. And I completed evaluations for children turning three all the way up through exiting eighth grade, but I case managed that uh, three through fourth, age three through fourth grade uh, population during my time as a as a, an LD. And then I moved into administration and became um, an administrator a, a, um, in, in our preschool program. Uh, I became the director when we uh, took part in the expansion um, that was offered through the state and we expanded our pre-K. Um, so it ended up being a perfect place as is this position where I get to merge preschool and special ed. So it really brings two areas that uh, are near and dear to my heart uh, into one place. So it's um, been an exciting ride. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you all so much. I am um, uh, very happy to have you all on the podcast today. I met you all uh, in person for the first time at the uh, conference in June. <laughs> And uh, we shared some other virtual interactions uh, throughout the last year uh, with some of the other conferences that we've had. But um, so I would like to get started into this conversation. And the first question I have is, uh, can you explain what is preschool and why do you feel it is important to start inclusion at the preschool level? So in the United States, uh, typically we mean by preschool and early childhood setting for three, four, and five-year-olds before they enter kindergarten. High-quality preschool settings support inclusion many ways. They use a flexible play-based curriculum which supports the development of the whole child in all developmental areas. In preschool, we are equally focused on children's social, emotional, physical, language, and cognitive development. So when you go to a preschool classroom and see many interest areas with quality materials that the children can touch and feel and manipulate, you'll know that in this classroom, the children are encouraged to move around, explore a wide variety of material, use and learn through their senses, through their many senses, which is really how all young children learn at this age. In addition to that, we carefully select the materials, different type of materials, to address the wide range of developmental levels in the classroom. Example, we have different type of um, uh, puzzles. Puzzles, those chunky puzzles with the knob. So children who have uh, not developed the fine motor skills and the grip, as much yet as the older ones, they can still manipulate the puzzle pieces. And we have interlocking puzzles, floor puzzles, puzzles with less and more pieces to address the different abilities of the children in the classroom. The teachers and the staff works with the administrator to create a well-balanced schedule. So the children participate in teacher-directed and child-initiated activities in large groups, small group, have opportunities for quiet and active time throughout the entire day. This schedule allows the preschool staff to individualize their interactions with the children so they can be responsive to their needs. 
For example, during choice time, teachers circulate around the classroom and spend time in the different interest areas to scaffold children's learning individually or in small group. There are many opportunities throughout the day for one-on-one -on -one interactions and learning for in small group, which is also es essential for inclusive classes. So all these qualities that I'm trying to explain is really important for inclusive classrooms, but it is also typical in high quality early childhood settings. In many preschools, we are also moving towards using an authentic assessment, which looks at children on a developmental continuum, meaning that even two children who are the same age can be at the different developmental stage, which of course changes over the year. We use a strength-based approach in preschools to identify and support children's needs and how to meet them. The assessment is embedded into the daily schedule so children can demonstrate in their natural environment what they understand and what they can do. We are not really focused on fixing the children, rather we identify where they are developmentally and how to take them to the next level. This approach to preschool education recognizes that children come to us with a wide variety of abilities, and our job is to meet them where they are developmentally. So in a preschool classroom, we must differentiate our interactions, the activities, the available materials to meet every child where they are. So we naturally do this with every children, every child already. The earlier we start to include children with disabilities, the earlier they will be surrounded by peers who can model communication, language skills, social interactions, how to make friends. And these are very important skills for the future for every child. Inclusion is also beneficial for their typically developing peers since this is the time when young children develop empathy, how to share, take turns, and other social skills as well. We talk a lot about feelings in the preschool classrooms. Help children identify their own feelings and their friends, what makes them happy, sad. Young children pick up these social cues from their environment during this age very easily and love to help each other. When I was a preschool teacher, I had a little boy in my classroom who had um, ASD. And he wanted to sit always on the same chair. And in a high quality program, you don't have assigned chairs for the children because you want them to mingle with everybody. You want them to sit whoever they want to sit, make friends uh, during snack time, lunch time, during group activities. So the children were sitting wherever they wanted to sit, except this little boy, he wanted to sit always on the same chair. And he became so upset and sometimes even aggressive when somebody would sit on that chair. So we gathered with the children together and I asked them, what can we do about it? And they offered the solution. We can make a, make a label for him. We, we're going to put his name on the chair so everybody knows this is his chair. 
So it is just amazing that at this age, when we start inclusion early, how children accept each other as they are with different abilities. And I think that's why we have to start this as early as we can. Yeah, I, I love what you said about um, meeting them where they are and, and figuring out how to get them to the next level. Like that's, you know, that's what it's really about. And yeah, it's, it's amazing how kids really learn and kids understand <laughs> so much at, like you said, such an early age. And um, I shared with you all experiences that I've had with some of my friends, uh, their children, and at very young ages, it's just like, oh, okay, so those are your crutches or that's your wheelchair. All right, no problem. <laughs> you know, can we go to the park now or can we go do this now? Okay, cool. <laughs> so it's it's really uh, true that, that children pick up on things and um, really understand things at uh, such an early age. So it is important to uh, introduce inclusion, um, you know, at the preschool level. And, uh, you know, so that way when they get older, it, it will be something uh, just regular for them, something normal for them to see uh, in their everyday, you know, in their everyday classrooms. Uh, so the next question I have is um, about the Abbott decision. Can you explain what the Abbott decision um, is and what have we learned from it? Um, how, is, how has it informed preschool, the preschool expansion aid funding and how does preschool expansion support inclusion? It's a very uh, <laughs> detailed question, but um, sure. I know you all can handle that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, just, uh, you know, sort of playing off of what Eva said, it's so important that we, we know uh, and we've learned through, through you know, data that's been collected that um, children being in high quality educational environments is really, really critical to their future academic and social um successes you know later on in their life um and so but we also know that not everyone has equal access to high quality um environments and so that's really where the abbott you know sort of decision uh came in and there's a long very complex history to the you know to the abbott rulings but um basically you know if we if we think about that um through the abbott rulings new jersey was the first state to mandate early education, meaning starting at age three, um, for children, what we consider at risk um, of entering kindergarten or primary school cognitively or socially um, behind their more advantaged peers. Um, and so, you know, prior to the Abbott ruling, the state school funding was found to be unconstitutional um, as it applied to equity and children in um, poor urban districts. So really what went on with this ruling was that um, stakeholders came together and, um, and really redid funding models uh, for the state. But part of that, and it wasn't all about preschool, but the piece that we're gonna focus on was about how it helped to create high quality preschool programming for children from historically underfunded communities. So several community stakeholders needed to be involved, right, to ensure that this, the, the, what we consider the essential elements of a high quality, well-planned preschool program would be put in place and would be put in place well. So those elements include things like qualified teachers, 
uh, smaller class sizes and standards-based uh, developmentally appropriate curriculums for preschoolers. So um, these elements that were put in place through the Abbott decision really became a national model for high quality early childhood education in, in the US. Um, and the different stakeholders that um, came together included things like, you know, different educational organizations, families and parents were involved in that, um, Head Start programs and different community preschool programs, um, school districts, of course, and higher ed institutions getting involved in helping to provide, um, you know, education and training um, to expand the cadre of, of high quality teachers. Um, of course, the New Jersey Division of um, uh, Department, sorry, of Education and the Division of Early Childhood Education played a big role in facilitating this collaboration amongst all those stakeholders that were involved. Um, and their objectives really were, when this all started, was for universal access. And we talk a lot about that, that everyone needs to be able to have access to these high quality classrooms, um, but they need to be high quality, right? So also improving the quality of preschool setting sort of these standards for what does it mean um, for it to be a high quality program, but also then collecting data to be able to tell this story of why this was important and, and how it did um, create uh, different you know, learning opportunities that sustained children um, throughout the course of their education. So there's been many, many studies. Most of them, I think that I've seen have really been done by the by near the National Institute of um, Early Ed uh, Research at Rutgers. Um, but one I'll just say, you know, different studies show the benefits of pre-K pre for third and four-year-olds um, and found things like, you know, for those students who attended those two years um, of Abbott preschool programming, their standardized test scores improved and the achievement gap between those children and their more advantaged peers really closed. And in some cases narrowed by 20 to 40% through fifth grade and, and beyond in other studies. So um, it's really that data and that evidence of the importance of this early childhood high quality, again, I'll stress early childhood education that led to um, us having what now I think we all celebrate is the continuation of the preschool expansion um, where more and more districts um, in New Jersey who, who have families who, who need this you know, access to um, high quality early childhood education for their young children, um, that funding is being put in place. And um, I think again, as Eva explained, if we wanna have children um, who have developmental delays and disabilities succeed in these classrooms, um, we need to make sure that those are high quality classrooms. One of the things you know, that those of us who've worked in early childhood special <laughs> education for years and years, I think we're always frustrated by was, except for those Abbott districts in so many other places um, because of, of uh, IDEA, special education law, children three, four, and five had access to special education if they qualified, but there really wasn't a place for them to be included 
with their uh, peers without IEPs or children who were developing language typically or developing play schools typically. Um, so they were historically placed in what we call self-contained classrooms because that's all there was in the district. And now we have more and more opportunities uh, both through the preschool expansion and then some other for the non-funded district for some tuition-based programs for more and more children have opportunities to be in high quality general education classrooms with their peers so that inclusion can start early. Yeah, this uh, conversation is bringing up a lot of memories for me because I remember being in preschool at a school specifically for children with disabilities. And, um, you know, around ages three and four, uh, just being there with the other uh, students that have disabilities and, um, you know, so it, it's, it's good and always great to hear um, how things have evolved since then. I grew up in the 80s, in the early 80s. Um, so to see how far things have come and, and how inclusion has become um, more of a topic of conversation and a, um, a big thing that people are, are looking into changing and um, having more inclusion is uh, always a great thing to hear and, and to see how it has evolved uh, over time. The last question that I have for you all is, um, can you share uh, how preschool assists with uh, leveling the playing field uh, when it comes to the differences in vocabulary and play? Uh, and also the importance of uh, communication and the social aspects of preschool. Sure. So, um, you know, going off of what both Eva and Corinne said, you know, the preschool expansion just did that whole um, part of, of the expansion really created a, a system that provided a lot of support. So in, in, an, in a district that's receiving um, the funding, you uh, get extra folks like a master teacher and um, a CPIS, which is a community parent involvement specialist. And they have particular roles in, in that program and they bring certain expertise. And I think in just starting from that place of having those extra folks who are trained to really look at development helps us to know, um, or at least have a deeper conversation about maybe who should move towards, um, towards evaluation and classification, and who would benefit from all the extra things that the master teacher, the CPIS, the curriculum, all these pieces that help us to really sort out, you know, so preschool is a great place to um, provide support if it's needed, but it's also a place we have to be careful that we don't overclassify. So when I was a learning consultant on a child study team, the most children I ever declassified came out of preschool. So they make these great gains and we get in there early and we can, you know, help with the things that, um, that they need to go forward. So it really is, but because of the way that it's set up, we have the preschool guidelines. Um, we have the curriculum. As Eva said, classrooms are small. We don't, you don't go over 15 students. Um, you have a teacher and an assistant. The environment is key. What does that environment look like? And you have that master teacher to really help you 
work on that environment and make changes. So you can go into a preschool class and each environment will be similar, but not exactly the same. If you have a child that really needs some space where they need quiet and they need uh, to be um, separated, um, we can do that. We can try to really to help to do that. So following best practices um, as they're laid out um, with this, with the funding and with the preschool guidelines, following the curriculum, using the environment and having the right kinds of um, supplies in that class really help children to, to thrive. So things like um, open-ended art. So we have an easel, we have art open every day, we have paint and children can easily access that. And just over my time in the preschool, I could see children who were budding artists. You know, they just gravitated towards that, that uh, art easel, but at the same time, developing a love for school and the program, learning to share that. Because if you're coming to school and, you know, you wanna be in the block area every day, that's a possibility, you know, and we, we definitely want to broaden the horizons of all the children when everyone to visit the art area, but we don't force them. They're, they're little and they're, so we make the learning about them and their choice. And the teacher direction part is sometimes hard to see when you go into a classroom because you're really, the classroom is all about them. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, the community parent involvement specialist that will get trained in pyramid, which is our model that supports positive behavior. We, we stay away from timeout seats and naughty stools and things like that, that we've all heard in our, in our uh, days as educators and really look at building interactions between teachers and children. From the second they step off the school bus or come to the classroom door, teachers are there to greet them. Um, you know, and we, during COVID, we had to uh, change a little bit of that. There wasn't always the high fives, but we went to elbow bumps. Just something that says you're welcome here, you're loved here, um, and children naturally thrive in that environment. So those children that are struggling developmentally, um, communication. Um, we're really gonna target where they need some help with the curriculum and the data collection tools that we use. Um, so it really serves everyone. You have the supports. Um, it's a welcome place for all children. Um, and you have the, the expertise from some of those other folks like the master teacher, but the classroom itself and the environment um, have to be high quality as, as Corinne was saying. And when it is really almost any child will, will thrive in there. And the ones that are struggling, we have those folks to help us to really tailor what they need to be successful there. So um, I think just the whole, the whole idea of it promotes communication and social skills um, and, and for children that are maybe struggling with some developmental things and letters and numbers, that comes later. If you can build those social skills and that communication and that love of school, um, you know, then we can, we can get children through uh, the other tougher aspects as they move forward. But so that's, that's our basics. And I think if that's what our classrooms look like, you know, any child can, can be part of that. It's not a, 
you must be able to do this to do that. You can be an artist, you can be a builder, you can be a bike rider, you can be, you know, whatever it is that, that you love, we'll find something in that classroom to make you, you know, want to keep trying and keep plugging along. So I think just the way that everything was set up over, over the years as a result of the Abbott district, and now with this push for high quality preschool programs, um, just really lends itself to, to success for, for any child and a great place to start with inclusion. Um, a play-based curriculum is, is, uh, is just what, you know, children need to, to kind of thrive and, and uh, get a really super good start um, in school. Yeah, I, excuse me, I can, um, when you were talking, I, I was thinking of how you said, like the interactions and communication. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you can ask just about anybody and they can tell you about a teacher that made an impact in their life. Mm -hmm. uh, because of, you know, when, when you have a tough subject, if a teacher can really connect with you in such a way where mm -hmm. you can understand it, and they really try to, uh, you know, work with you, I think, you know, that that, like I said, you can ask anybody about a specific teacher and they can tell you why that teacher made a difference and most of the time it will be because they got to know the person mm -hmm. themselves and and individually and and really uh develop the relationship and communicate it with that person so right. and the uh, academics are good but right. you're right the interactions are if those are there you'll get to the other stuff you know right. children feel welcome and loved and um like school you know, I think that's a really great start and we can give them that. And like, I, uh, I forget if Eva or Corinne said it, um, they're so accepting at that young age. So we start with that and we just, everybody's here, you know, so. So thank you all for joining me uh, today. I really appreciate you taking the time and um, taking the time uh, with the process of developing these questions with me. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great to work with you all and um, to learn about uh, preschool and the current state of preschool and high quality, uh, which is something that I'll definitely uh, take with me from this conversation. The importance of the high quality uh, preschool is uh, so important. So I appreciate you all and um, I will hopefully be in touch and seeing you and working with you again soon. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Arthur. It was great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Arthur. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education and JCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.